Hi there, Charlie McGee speaking. Just a quick note on the editing of this episode before you listen. So this is one of our earlier episodes. So George and I were still quite new to the podcasting game. We hadn't got the optimum setup in place yet. We were still trying to record uh, one of us in different countries, different mics over Skype, you name it. We tried it before we got to the best setup. So uh, if you prefer your episodes in the highest quality, probably suggest starting around episode six or seven, uh, where we're covering things like The Goonies and 1989 Batman, because I don't know, we just, we got things, we worked out what worked, what didn't work. But if you are a completist, you can go back and check out one of these earlier ones, like one, two, four, or five. Uh, episode three is actually pretty decent quality, and that's a special where we cover John McTiernan's classic with Arnie, Predator. So if you like bad impressions of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and to hear us talk about it for 90 minutes, be sure to check that out. Take all of that under advisement, just as Hans Gruber says. That's all I can really think of to mention. Thank you for downloading the episode keep sharing sharing is caring keep following us on all social medias and for everything else you can get us at retroramble.blog bye for now you like movies about gladiators get off my plane hello and welcome I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And welcome to Retro Ramble. As you might have guessed it, we are brothers. We're not lovers. We're brothers who grew up on a healthy diet of films. And the purpose of this podcast is to take a look back at the films we remember most fondly. Films that are worth discussing for one reason or another, good or bad. This week, it's Air Force One and Face Off. They're both from 1997. George, how and why did we get here? Well, time travel may not be possible, but that doesn't mean we can't go back in time via the medium of film. Yes, uh, 1997 is a cracking year for film, um, whilst some may not believe it. Quite handily, 20 years ago, which will also sober up a few people listening to this. Uh, I had some great films across the year in no particular order. Films like, you know, Jim Carrey and his prime with Liar Liar, Starship Troopers, Fifth Element, Austin Powers, LA Confidential, Goodwill Hunting. Um, it also, uh, has a few, uh, award-worthy films. There's, uh, one of the worst films of all time, Batman and Robin, which, uh, we may even go back and, and look up because it's so terrible. And one of the most successful films of all time, Titanic, which we will most definitely not be reviewing. Um, are you ready to go back to Titanic, Charlie? No, I think we should leave that at the bottom of the cold, cold ocean. Goodbye, Jack. <laughs> I'll never let go. Uh, I can't believe you let me draw you naked. Um, so yeah, I think, I think before we go any further, obviously today we're going to be focusing on face off and Air Force One get off my plane. Uh, but before we go any further, a quick word from George on some housekeeping. So, uh, just a, a reminder, we are not film journalists. Still not film journalists. Still not journalists. Uh, we definitely don't work in the film industry. We are not getting paid for this. We are doing it for the love of film. We're new to podcasting, um, so there may be the occasional audio quality issue. There may be issues with editing. 
chatting. We might talk over each other. other shout. Shout, uh, yeah, finish each other's sentences. And laugh at our own jokes. And we're still learning general pod etiquette. So, in the words of Airplane, please. Cut me some slack, yeah. As always, we are, we have a retro focus. We may go on tangents from time to time. There may be the odd bad impression. Um, for this round, obviously, Charlie and I will be exploring our inner cage and inner Travolta. Um, we go to some dark, dark camp places <laughs> and some growly places with Harrison Ford. And at the end of the, the podcast, we'll uh, probably do a bit of diversions and sort of just chat about what we're currently consuming in terms of our media, whether it's books, streaming, games, games whatever's entertaining us at the moment. Even films that haven't come out yet, films are still in development. We are nerds. We know these things. We verified them. We've read them online. So we know it must be true, regardless of your feelings about post-truth. But essentially, we... We aim to entertain. We may occasionally miss. That is true. But hopefully we might inspire you to go back and take a look at these films for yourself. But hopefully you'll... It's a lot of hopefullys, isn't it? A lot of hopefullys. I'm very hopeful. I'm we, very can, hopeful. We, can, we can edit that out. It's yeah, fine. yeah, we'll edit that out. The chances are you're listening to this because you've seen these films before. However, out of courtesy, we just want you to know there will be spoilers. We will be covering set pieces. We will be revealing endings major flaws i mean obviously we're we're giving a spoiler warning but if you haven't seen face off and air force one what the hell are you doing with your life yeah I mean, stop really. stop listening to this podcast right now and go and watch face off we'll wait we'll wait so how long is that what's what's the typical running time i'm gonna say it's about two hours ten ish no it's gotta be less than that well you got you're talking about two films so you're oh you're, sorry you're yeah, looking at least three and a half to four hours do you continue watching air force one after harrison sorry after gary oldman's dead though there's a spoiler right there yeah we've even spoiled <laughs> our own spoilers our own podcast all right so all right ramblers let's get rambling We're going to take a look at... How about now? <laughs> That's much, much better. You look amazing. For those who are not watching our video stream, my brother is now talking into a microphone. I might just start walking around the room and just, you know, working the crowd. You're so happy you bought that microphone. Well, we'll see what happens with the sound quality. But <laughs> it is <yeah>, so... useless. <laughs> <laughs> £10, well spent. So, we're going to take a look at how the films stand up today. We're going to start by looking at Air Force One. We're going to look at some memorable scenes, what works, what doesn't. I will be uh, trying to guide the conversation. George is the specialist. George is our, our go-to movie buff super guy who never gets anything wrong, like pronouncing or getting the name of the director right or anything like that. Wolfgang Peterson. Yeah, it's a better, it's better, it's better. So, starting with Air Force One... The president's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. I will execute the hostage every half an hour. What are airborne scenarios? There are no airborne scenarios. How the hell did this happen? How the hell did they get Air Force One? Let's not forget this president is a Medal of Honor winner. He knows how to fight. My husband will not negotiate. His wife, his daughter. I think he'll negotiate. I mean, you've got the opening scenes in, Mo in Moscow. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I remember in terms of Air Force One, there's, it's obviously the, the elevate the pitch or whatever you use of the summary is, it's one of the last few diehard in a films, isn't it? You know, in terms of yeah. person takes on terrorists in an enclosed space. You have, you obviously diehard's the, the most famous and the best one. You've got Under Siege. You've got Under Siege 2, which is on a train. You've got Speed on a bus, Speed 2 on a cruise boat. It's also 1997. And I think this was one of the last few films of that concept that actually works. And I don't think anyone's gone back to it because, for because it, one, it's been exhausted, and two, so many people have done it so well. But I completely forgot about the opening with the storm to get the the evil general the you know the marines storming the russian base he always really he's such a shit um <laughs> i just i couldn't get over like when i was watching the film how efficient those marines were it was like they were playing uh, call of duty they were literally knew where the soldiers they would pop around a corner they were shooting the soldiers it was textbook and i thought these guys are too good yeah uh, I couldn't get over that as well. I was thinking Call of Duty, Goldeneye on double O agent level, whatever you want to call it. I was just thinking, and it was all like silence. There was no standoffs. They were just like running down a hallway, pop, 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 really quiet silence. And everyone was like taken down immediately. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I thought that was hilarious. And speaking, really, really well choreographed though. Very well done. And, and, and speaking of Call of Duty, I'll probably will touch on it later on because there's another scene in, in the film, which I'm sure it will also bring back memories of COD for you as well. So, yeah, you've got the very dramatic, very well-choreographed opening. Then you launch into Moscow with a very gung-ho speech. And I don't know if you found this, but maybe it's just it's odd timing, but the, the word that it sort of uh, escapes me, but both this, uh, both Air Force One and Face Off, have themes all about uh, the war on terror, which... Considering 1997, you know, four years before the war on terror happened, I think it's quite spooky in a way. You know, Harrison Ford's speech in Air Force One is all about we will we will no longer go stand silently. We will, you know, we will face up to all terrorists and show. We're going to go and intervene. Yeah, <laughs> and isn't that a little bit spooky? Well, it, it it is. I think in terms of timing, what I took from that speech was. And what I put in my notes is of another film president pledging stuff that would never happen in real life. The way that he puts it down, you know, it's like, well, it's, it, it would never happen like that in real life. Obviously, there's like, everyone's like, going, I can't believe, are you, you going to make policy? How's this going to happen? I just made policy. <laughs> but, I mean, but we discussed this in private. But, but I made it public because yeah. I'm Harrison Ford, goddammit. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that I've just, I've just got in my notes. Gung ho speech. <laughs> I've got yeah, I've got that. I've got damn Ruskies and grumpy, grumpy Harrison Ford. <laughs> yes, but I, I, I like the way. No, he's great in this film. He's they, great in this. Film. They sum up very quickly. They give you a very quick snapshot into who this guy is in all in like a five minute section from him getting on the plane to the plane taking off. He's a family man. He's got a daughter that loves him. He's a, he loves his football. He's an everyday American guy. He's having a beer. He wants to watch the game. Everybody loves him. Oh, he's, he's, he's having a bit of fun time. You know, he's kissing his wife. He's a bit of a ladies man as well. And it's just like, okay, we've got five minutes. How do we make this guy the best president ever? He's, he's just a normal guy. 
Yeah, they did. They summed it up. I like that. It's like they set up the third act. It's like we will never negotiate with terrorists. The only thing that matters to me are my my family. Never referred to as my wife and daughter. Always my, my family. My family. But the the only things that matter to him are not negotiating with terrorists and his family. How are things going to end up? <laughs> what's um, going to happen? <laughs> what's going to happen? But before we move on, I mean, obviously that's the opening scene. So we're, we're getting onto the plane now. You know, Russian uh, journalistic crew, those evil journalists, these ones just happen to turn out to be the terrorists. I have to, being the being the techie geek, the, the more technically inclined, thumbprint on the screen of the laptop. <laughs> I noticed that as well. I was like, geez, technology was amazing back then. <laughs> it's just the fact that obviously... Well, just just, just put your thumb on the laptop, no one will just, notice. Just put your thumb in the middle of the screen and we'll add the graphics later. Um, yeah, that was genius, yeah. The other thing that stuck out to me in, in that sequence was saying uh, Gary Oldman, I don't know if it had him down as like, like really tall. I don't know if it was either like 5'11 or maybe over 6 foot. And I thought, I always thought Gary Oldman was like 5'8 or something like that. What you mean? Did it have, it, did uh, it, it have his height? It has his stats on the screen, you know, on the thumbprint thing. And it was like, yeah, he ain't that tall. I was like, yeah, I think it might even just be 5'11. I thought, no, that's not right. I'm sure I've seen Gary Oldman and he's, and he's, a, he's a small dude. But that, that's, that's a small point. One of the things I, I loved about this, you've got uh, who I like to call general exposition, who is the, the general that has no function apart from telling you how many medals of honor the president has, and he flew in Vietnam, goddammit. You also have the head of press, who is um, other exposition, which is, do you know you could fire a machine gun in this plane and it would not make any difference at all? Oh, yeah. okay, that makes sense, because you said so. It could survive could, a nuclear blast. Yeah, I could get over the whole, um, when he gets on the plane, it's like, it's kind of like, does anybody, just if you're not sure who the president is, everyone's like, Mr. President, yes, Mr. President, Mr. President. Like, in the space of 12 seconds, I think Mr. President, no, sorry, 5 seconds, <laughs> I think Mr. President is said 12 times. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I just love how he's, he's, he's having a bit of banter with the guys. Everybody you know. loves him. Everybody loves him. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's a hero. He's a, he's a war hero, goddammit. The other thing I love is clearly, um, and uh, the reason I always remember this guy's name, He's got a great name, Xander Berkeley, who you will also uh, know as well, Mr. Head of Secret Service, who is evil bad guy in hiding, but also evil bad guy from 24. Um, oh, God. Evil, uh, step, evil stepfather from Terminator 2. Yeah. Uh, and, and other bit parts. He's, he's a great bit part player. But as soon as you see him, you know he's evil. He's evil. He's, he's, he's clearly evil. But yeah, I, I just I, I I've just got Xander Berkeley obviously evil. But getting back, a lot of introductions, lo, lo, but but very tightly done. I think they sum very it up. Well they, they don't drag it out. They they get to the point. They get to they sum up why the plane why the plane's bulletproof and why why the plane is suitable for this action movie. <laughs> um, why the president's such a nice guy. What's at stake? Blah blah blah. Cut to the taking of the plane. Yeah, which, which is a great scene. Great scene. And getting back to our chat about COD, is obviously they've, the guys who have, uh, is it Medal of Honor, uh, sorry, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, where you, you they Modern take, Warfare 3. Where they uh, take the they, president's plane. The Russian. And it's actually, ironically, it's, it's a Russian, 
I think, isn't it the Russian plane? It's a Russian president's plane. Yeah, it's a Russian president, yeah. That's um, mad. You've got, you've got floating about, free falls, you've got zero gravity, and you're like shooting a gun upside down. It's a brilliant sound. And isn't it all getting the president to the escape pod? Yeah, yeah, so, well, and then uh, then you've got to go and find the escape pod as well, and that's a lot about running about, uh, running about with no weapons. So, know, so yeah, it's, it's obviously taken, it's obviously inspired, you know, um, this Call of Duty. Which is quite ironic because the presidential security team obviously haven't been playing COD. The guys at the start, <laughs> they've been playing COD really well, but the guys on the presidential plane, they're useless. You know, they've got, you know, a full army on that thing and they get taken out like, you know, absolute wimps. The other guy that's also, uh, I noticed Gary Ullman's uh, second in command always plays a Russian. He, he's on the call list for, I need, he plays the Russian landlord in Spider Man 2. Um, oh, right. well, <laughs> where is my rent? <laughs> uh, and I think if you, if you looked up that actor on IMDb, I think he would play, uh, he would have him down as a lot of Russian roles. A bit like the guy, our favourite man from Mission Impossible 2 and Snatch. Dimitri. You know, Dimitri. You need a Russian bad guy, you go he to that came, guy. He even popped up in Down Abbey. Did he? Was as a Russian, a Russian guy, a Russian guy from from Mission Impossible. He turns up as an old flame of no other than Maggie Smith. Yes, uh, when when I first came to the British, uh, she helped me and my wife, the princess. Yeah, classic, classic. <laughs> like, yeah, he's on. They're all on a list. It's like that French guy who's the bad guy in oh, Checky, Bad Boys. Checky Cairo. Is he the guy in Bad Boys? Yes, yeah, and he was in a bunch of films. and and the Golden Eye. Yeah, we'll save that for the um, bad guys uh, podcast. Foreign, <laughs> generic foreign the, the, the bad stereotypes. Guys the, the, yeah, they, they should. I'm sure we talked about this. They should make a uh, a bit like the uh, Expendables. They should make a film about the stereotypes, where it's just all the stereotype bad guys, like like our, our Russian friend and uh, Cheki Cairo. <laughs> um, but, so uh, we've got the taking of the plane. What happens next, George? Well, everyone's dead. The president's been fired out of the escape pod. But then it, it cuts back to America, and what, oh, have, yeah. what have you got? Get me Glenn Close, goddammit. it! Did you notice on the credits as well that she was the Anne? Oh, I've got a a great great quote here. This is on the DVD summary. It has you know the whole sort of. In a time of crisis, you know, president, you know, fighting for the security of his family. And the last line of the summary on the back of the DVD box says, with high stakes action, suspense, and featuring Glenn Close as a vice president. <laughs> How is that a plot point? Who, was this? <laughs> you, you, you've got high stakes. You've got action. You've got suspense. You've got Glenn Close. <laughs> okay, I'm in. But another, I, I read a fact uh, on, um, I'm probably jumping ahead here, but on IMDb Trivia, apparently Glenn Close was, was cast quite last minute, and she'd had a very short haircut at, at the time. So she supplied her own wig um, for the role. So it ma makes me think that Glenn Close has an array of wigs that she has for <laughs> for what roles that have become available at short notice. Glenn, are you gonna need a wig? No, no, no. I got that. I'll I'll go yeah. to uh, my my wig trailer. Um, but you've got Dean Stockwell, also known as the bloke from Quantum Leap. He will always be the bloke from Quantum Leap. Wasn't he in the West Wing? Uh, I haven't seen the West Wing. Everyone tells Neither me. Neither have I. Everyone tells I'm me it will change sure. my life or or something. 
Um, yeah, I got told that as well. But I think I got the impression because it was being, I think the West one was kind of starting around the same sort of time. It's like, has he just wandered in? Because <laughs> he plays, no, he does play an advisor. He, actually, I might even be way off here. He might even be, is he the president or is that Martin Sheen? That's Martin Sheen. Yeah, but I think he's like he's he's chief of staff or advisor in the West Wing. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> but but I did like the fact that you had as Glenn. She's just going for a peaceful political solution, and there's Dean Stockwell. Like, I want to blow shit up. <laughs> Fire the news. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved it. Yeah, we've got to get a guy in to talk us through the, the you know the Fifth Amendment or whatever whatever the amendment is. Get me a guy. Oh, you mean the, the Attorney General? Yeah, yeah of course, me. because the Constitution is that's it. The Constitution needs to be protected. But you, you know, looking jokes aside, you've got a very strong supporting cast. Like, well, that, that, that's when movies were made that way. You had these sort of go-to actors. I totally forgot um, William H Macy was in it. Oh, you're very young, William H Macy as well. Yeah, probably sort of yeah, uh, sort of early on in his career. I suppose it would have been around the same Fargo time as as Fargo and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, you know, going close. It's it's a solid performance, and I suppose that's why she gets the end. It's a it's a, a solid performance. Um, but the I, entire film, she's because she's you know she's talking into the conference call, and the entire film she looks like she's just she's staring at the camera, staring into the abyss. She's just like, but what will you do if you can't find the president? <laughs> <laughs> she's absolutely exhausted, bless her. But and yeah, and the moment I've already touched on, obviously when you're in Washington, it cuts to general exposition, Medal of Honor, Vietnam. And I've, I watched the, I, I went through the exhaust, uh, exhaustive list of, uh, special features on the DVD, all seven minutes. And, um, <laughs> you, uh, you've got the trailer and you've got a featurette. And that line of dialogue from General Exposition is featured in both things. So it's really sort of, again, it's a key plot would say, why is this guy kicking ass? Well, how could, a, how, how could a president, can you imagine Donald Trump, Donald Trump's hiding Hiding downstairs, taking out terrorist cells one by one. Charlie, I think we all know that would happen. <laughs> Wrong! <laughs> I think Donald Trump would take them out. I, I imagine he's, he has a more of a Seagal style fight. He'd grab him by the pussy. Well, <laughs> that, that indeed. So yes, yes you've you, got Glenn. You've got Glenn trying. She tries the political peaceful solution. You, um, you've she got, talks to the president. She's like, "Could you release Radek?" And he's like, "Yeah, but I got into power on this, so mm, I'm not going to do it until the end of the film. Yeah. You know, just just for the climax. If that's okay, I'm not going to do it right now." So she, she has to turn back to Dean Stockwell, and Dean Stockwell, all he wants is Strike Force Alpha. D- D- Dean Stockwell, just yeah, he wants he wants utter carnage. But all this is going on, you've obviously got all the hostages in the conference room. Meanwhile, you've got, I, I, I counted this up, you've got five minutes of Harrison Ford going through luggage. I, I That's my first note, is like, don't you just love the fact that he finds the phone, but before using the Nokia phone of 997, he brings out the user manual <laughs> and reads how it works. I think that was just... Genius is like he's not going to know how this phone works. How's he going to work it out? Oh no, I I, I thought that was a nice touch as well. I was like, I was just it's the way it kept like it was cutting between the terrorists. It was cutting between Washington. Meanwhile, Harrison's still going through the luggage. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> we're really building the tension here. He hasn't found the phone yet. And then when he fu- like after all of that, it's like he's looking at the instruction manual. Why are they including this? 
But to be fair, it does, yeah, it's, it's quite a humorous moment. And as you say, it gives it a sort of, well, why would he know how to use the phone? He would have it was, some underling to do it for him. It was like dad, dad with the video instructions. He was like, let me just, let me just look at this. Okay. <laughs> what, what am I doing? In terms of uh, our, our total discussion of every podcast product placement, I've got everything in the kitchen. You've got at least two fight scenes in the kitchen where they're throwing each other a bit like Superman 2. They're throwing each other into various products. <laughs> and there's the very cheesy moment. I may be jumping ahead where he's having to, he's on this, he's got the satellite phone. He's got the call through and he's got to cut the line to the fuel pump. And there's all these different colored wires. And then he goes, red, like, white, and blue. He cuts up counting on you, red, white, and blue. Bit of, bit of, bit of hand on the heart. Nah, I was, I was a little bit sick in my mouth. But uh, wait till you get to the pack three. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, I just want to make a point. The reason why I was saying about the instruction manual is that that this just reminded me of like in Jason Bourne, the good films, not the new one. The second one, the uh, Supremacy. Oh no, it's the last one I think. Ultimatum, where he's in is it Victoria Waterloo Station, and he just gets the he gets the burner phone. He buys it, turns it on, gives it to, puts it in the guy's pocket. Now, if you've ever bought burner phone, <laughs> that's not how it works. So I actually really appreciated him finding the phone, getting out the instruction manual, powering it on, because I was thinking the same as you. Why are they showing us this? But Well, no, I'd say it's, yeah, it's, it's a nice touch. It, it, after all that sort of tension, it's like, and he doesn't even know how to use it. But the, the speaking of modern technology of 1997, one of my, uh, I may be jumping ahead, but one of my favorite moments of, uh, I've just got in my notes the joy of sending a fax. Faxes still relevant. So they've cut the phone lines, but the faxes are still available. Well, somebody might overlook the fax because uh, if they're not seen as, I mean, I mean, obviously they're the future, but uh, maybe <laughs> terrorists haven't thought about that. It's just yeah, the, the triumphant music of the fax being sent. I was like, yes, <laughs> faxes are still relevant. So we now step into, um, well, that this brilliant uh, collage effect of where Harrison Ford is, um, well, he meets, he has, to, he has to take on the terrorists. And I have to admit, it's been a while since I'd seen this film. I'd completely forgotten how much of a diehard film this was. You know, I know it is, obviously, but I just, I forgot there was this whole creeping out, taking them one by one. And the other thing where it doesn't happen until the end, but where he's actually over the radio, between Gary Oldman yeah. and him. I don't want to jump ahead, but I forgot how much of a diehard film this is, stupidly. Well, no, it's, it's, it's it, for a while, it takes them, everyone a while to work out that it's the actual president that's doing it. They think it's some rogue secret service agent, which I think is... I didn't take note, but I think it's at least an hour in. It's, it's well into the film before anyone... I mean, Gary Oldman doesn't work out to the end, you know, so... Yeah, because it's like even, even, I don't know, Washington worked it out because obviously he's got the phone in his pocket. Do you know who yeah, I am? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Harrison Ford, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's it's quite it's quite cheesy, but to be fair, like it, Harrison Ford still sells it, you know, if in terms it's of... Great. If, if you look at all the other sort of diehard knockoffs, obviously, you know, one of the reasons why diehard works out so well is because you've got Bruce Willis, you've got that emotional edge that he's actually a decent actor or, or was a decent actor 
and you're selling that, you know, there, there's that believability. It's not like Arnie or Stallone saying, oh my God, my, my, my wife hates me and, um, you know, I'm such a loser, I hate my job. And it's the same with this, that, you know, you can believe that Harrison Ford's the president. You can believe that he has a, a Vietnam background. Yeah, and, the timing works out. Career, I think. Yeah, and it also, in terms of the emotional punch, he he's such a good actor, you know, he, in those scenes where he's begging for his family's life, he really does sell it. Yeah. And, and, and there's a bit, I think, where, and, you know, as you're saying, you know, what's the one thing that's going to make him break on his, his promise of not dealing with terrorists is where he's like, he goes, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, just leave my family alone. And, it, you know, he, I say he completely sells it. Um, in terms of what have you got next on your notes, I've got um, the guys escaping in parachutes, which, which reading in trivia, apparently there's no such function. There's one in, uh, in the real Air Force one, there's no escape pod. And two, there's no, um, opening, back opening. Living, there's no living daylights. Uh, no, no, sadly no. And apparently, <laughs> apparently Bill Clinton watched it twice, uh, in 1997 and said, <laughs> one of his comments were, maybe we should have an escape pod on Air Force One. <laughs> just, just in case Hillary wants to take over my presidency again, <laughs> I, I can I can escape in safety. But no, I, again, that's that's a good scene. It build apart from some a little bit of ropey CGI, and again, it's sort of this uh, this film flip flops between some really good practical effects, like the whole bit where they try and land the plane at that German Air Force base, and the plane's going around and taking out stuff. On the whole, it's pretty effective. A lot of the uh, CGI plane stuff. I've got, uh, especially towards the end, I've got sub PS2 style graphics for the plane. Yeah, the plane craft. It's it's a little bit ropey. In terms of before before we go to that though, just just two points. Sorry, I did I did pick up was one was the first takeout of the terrorist that he takes out. Sorry, we're going all over the place. Here. Yeah, no, but it's fine. quite a messy. It's quite a messy fight. And it ends with a classic uh, sleeper chokehold, which I, I liked. It was it was very sort of like it's not like Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis in Die Hard, it's like he's a cop and he's he's he's, he's getting he gets. But again, again, over. that's a, a sloppy fight. You know, the one down the stairwell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's you can see them walking the same sort of tropes. But one you mentioned it before, and one thing that hit me about this film, the reason why I use the term action thriller, this film is tense. You know, there's. You know what's going to happen at the end, but I mean that says a lot about um, you know Wolfgang Petersburg. Um, Petersburg. <laughs> you know, the, the, well, in terms of the, you know what's going to happen, but you're still tense throughout the film. Like, and I go on to there's there's that quite chilling scene with hostages. They're done really well. I mean, one, it's Gary Oldman. Like, you don't even want Gary Oldman doing that to you in real life when you know he's an actor. You know, I mean, <laughs> his life, his daughter, he will negotiate. Uh, so quite chilling hostage scenes, quite tense. Yeah, th- no, that's it. There, there's a lot of collateral damage on the plane. And again, that sort of plays into the sort of, again, touches on Die Hard. Oh, he's, he's not going to let the person die, but he does for, for the greater good. The of, greater good. The greater good. Even though you know the guy who is, is it Secretary of Defense or Secretary of State doesn't agree, who doesn't agree with his policy in public, is the first You mean shot. the guy from the Crunching of Conflicts app? Huh? That guy is the National Security Advisor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he appeared in a Crunching of Conflicts advert about in the same sort of time. Knowledge. And it was about the guy, you can set his watch to him. Two minutes, he's in the shower. Anyway. Uh, 
bit of trivia. Okay. Um, yeah, I say the the thing that I think we we agreed on this that sticks out from other sort of I say diehard clones is is the performances. You've got you know great actors, and it has got some good tension. And then uh, I think it's safe to say we're moving into the final third of the film where it gets a little bit silly. My notes just say explosions, exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, George, I have just missed. I've seen my notes here. This film makes sending a fax exciting. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the joy of sending a fax. Um, yeah, so the refueling plane. Yep, yep. What's going to happen? <laughs> what, what's the worst that could happen? Massive, massive explosion. The thing that um, I couldn't work out is when they get Radic released, you've got the prison guards are like cheering and they're doing a running commentary. I couldn't work out why are they happy that he's leaving. What? So what I I picked up on a few things this time, which I obviously just malaised over um, the first time. So the backstory is that Jim Marshall, James Marshall, helped the current Russian president get in, even though he was fighting off both sides of his parties, the right and the left, or the socialists, whoever, his opposing parties, based on... So there's still, short story, there's still loads of people loyal to Radek, who want Radek, this dictator-type guy, to be in charge. And um, when he's being released, like, half the prison guards are doing what they're told. Yeah. Um, But there's this one guy who's obviously relaying all the information, who's actually one of the prison guards, who's relaying all the information to the terrorists. Well, so like well that's what can work out, because you've got one minute, you've got the, the everyone's cheering. You know, release kill. the prisoner, release the prisoner, yeah. kill the prisoner, yeah, kill and, the prisoner. Yeah, and then they're all shooting him. I was like, uh, I know that, you know, it's the whole political situation, but I, I thought that was a little bit uh, confusing. But the um, while this is all going on, you've got, Gary Oldman and Harrison Ford fighting, doing the Living Daylights thing, fighting on the ramp. And yeah. uh, the the point that I probably thought you would have uh, found amusing is when <laughs> when the wife picks up the gun, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him! And she's <laughs> struggling to get a shot and she can't shoot him. I just kept thinking of uh, Loaded Weapon 1. Um, but then you cut to the, the classic line that you and I will always say, Get off my plane! It's brilliant. Brilliant. But unfortunately, it's where you kind of have to tap out of that film as well. Well, yeah, I, I think they probably do actually um, kill off Gary Oldman a bit too soon, wouldn't you say? They should have done the thing, he's not dead. He's you not know? Really... That's a, I think that's the only reason why you keep watching the films that he's still alive. He's, still alive. <laughs> he's no, crawling kind of, up the no, side of the plane. Yeah, you know, because it's, it's Gary Oldman, it's Gary Oldman, but the fact that that third act, it's so long. Every, I mean, that's all I've got here is I've got, like, uh, Showdown. Sorry, he does negotiate after all. Showdown, America, fuck yeah. And isn't there a bit when he's flying the plane? Yes. Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. So, and- so, so basically they kill Gary Oldman. They take control of the plane. And then they send in the, the Russian MiGs, loyal to Radek, come in yeah. and start attacking the plane. Yeah. Harrison Ford and William H. Macy are trying to negotiate this giant plane with its security measures before the American support turns up. And again, you've got like some really cliche dialogue. I've written some lines down here. You've got, get him off my tail. 
And um, another one that made me giggle purely because it just made me think of airplane. You've got Rudder is sluggish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I got that as well. And you've got. I love the, the fact that it was kind of a Han Solo back in the cockpit. Back in the cockpit, yeah, with with <laughs> William H Macy as Chewie. And then, so yeah, they take out the Migs. Yeah, again, it's you know it's a good sort of tension scene. And then it goes to the whole uh, zipline thing, and I've got in my notes. Oh, it's is, so is, long. Is the zipline thing real? Does it only happen in films like this and Cliffhanger? You know, it just, it just it, it, it seems a bit ridiculous. Uh, so a guy jumps out of a plane with a zipline, he then gets, he then just manages to, it happened in a 1974 airport film, you know, the, the yeah. real film. Yeah, airport 1974. <laughs> I, I think I, I saw that where there's actually a bit where the guy actually tries to do that and he dies. So right. I'm assuming that it is, um, to quote the film, what are the airborne scenarios? But there are no airborne scenarios. <laughs> no, right. um, Thanks, General so Exposition. Apparently, there are airborne scenarios. <laughs> right, okay. So, yeah, I've got uh, PlayStation 2 quality graphics for the plane crash, which is so ridiculous. It's like, why not just have it slowly sink into the sea? It's like the plane's doing cartwheels, and it's just awful. Then you've got, he's on the military plane, and they're all saluting him. We got him. We got him. Which the interesting thing I found out in the trivia that Air Force One only because. correlates to whatever plane he's on. And I kind of worked that out from the film. I don't know about you, George. No, no, no. no but apparently, no, no. apparently, goes further. <laughs> okay, I worked out from the film, but apparently, it correlates <laughs> to. So, if he was in a Navy helicopter, it would be Navy One. If he was in an Army transport, it would be Army One. Right. So it correlates to whatever vehicle he's in. So apparently, and the vice president, Glenn Close, and, and her wig are, um, <laughs> w- if she's traveling in a helicopter, it would be Air Force Two. Right. So doesn't they, do, what does the helicopter become? Isn't it Marine One? Or no, oh, sorry, sorry. Ma- yeah, it's Marine. So it'll be Marine Two if Glenn Close and, and her wig were in, in the, uh, and lots of salutes. Lots of salutes. I loved all the salutes. I've, like, I've, it's like a high five, military high five. And then I've got um final point, flying off into the sunset to kick more ass. <laughs> he's like, where's he going next? Well, he's, he's, he's in a military aircraft. I think he'll go and bomb, you know. So he'll go straight back to Russia and bomb some more uh, insurgents. So... So, overall, I've got solid and entertaining action film, well-acted, fairly well-paced, apart from the luggage scenes, good action quota, like a hamburger, cheesy, meaty, and a guilty pleasure, and all-American. Oh, I've got to talk about the amazing soundtrack. Yeah, I've just got my notes, as I sent to you. What a soundtrack. USA, USA. <laughs> Trumpets. And, and apparently, uh, again in trivia, Jerry Goldsmith, he was a you know, classic movie school guy, um, composer, um, he was brought in very last minute and he... Jerry, what do you got? <laughs> and and he, was re- he said it was one of the worst scores he'd ever done, but I disagree, Jerry. I think he's hit all the right notes. Ba, 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 ba. So much so. Um, I bought the soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> I've no, got out just bought it. No, no, no. It, it, it comes back to what I was talking about at the start and what we've touched on. Um, I sent you this. I don't know if you remember, but Donald Trump was using the Air Force One theme as his walk on music. 
to all of his rallies. Was it Jerry? Did Jerry get? It was Jerry Goldsmith's estate got in touch because Jerry Goldsmith died a few years ago, and they said, "We we really are against you using this for your like political gain. This Jerry wouldn't have wanted this. Can you please stop using the Air Force One theme as your walk-on music?" I do remember it. So he was, yeah, he was, he was actually told to stop using the Air Force One music. Uh, by Jerry Goldsmith to say so yeah um, so in terms of um, cutting to uh, one of our hopefully our reoccurring features so casting coulda shoulda a little bit Ron Burgundy so apparently um, I don't know if you've read this in in the uh, the, the wonderful vault of IMDb trivia uh, apparently, it was the role was originally written for Kevin Costner. Interesting. Could have done a good job. I think equally solid choice. Just as bankable. Just as bankable. But apparently, he was too busy doing The Postman. Yeah, he was probably worried about being... I don't know. I haven't seen The Postman, so I can't comment. Neither have I. I've just heard it's awful. It makes Waterworld look good. So, uh, without further ado... I guess it's time to talk about Face Off. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years, I've, I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. Let's talk about face-off. Where, where to start? I mean, in terms of background, I remember this used to be a very popular <laughs> film of you and our, of, of yours and mine. For a while, it did hold that title of, again, going back to Die Hard, best action film since Die Hard. I don't know if, if you agree. I mean, it had a lot of hype around the time. Well, it had a good teaser trailer. What a, um, that's yeah, that's a great point. I uh, actually went. We back saw to, that at the cinema, didn't we? Yeah, and I, I remember going back and watched it recently. And it's again, that's something that they don't do enough of these days. I think the nineties was a great time of Jurassic Park did it, Terminator Two did it, in the whole Terminator factory. And now we're we're in a, an era where they just do a teaser trailer for a trailer instead yeah. of actually filming a special bit of footage for the trailer. But yeah, I remember it was huge when, when Face Off uh, first came out. Empire gave it five stars, which I'm sure if they went back and reviewed it, it wouldn't get five stars. Cage was at the you know top of his box office clout and his power, Travolta, whilst his star was briefly on the rise, following you know Pulp Fiction and obviously his uh, his hammy uh, first go around with John Woo for Broken Arrow. I forgot about that, yeah, because I was thinking John Woo, Travolta, they worked together. Yeah, so, um, so in terms of background, so John Woo's career was built doing amazing action films uh, in Hong Kong. So uh, he had films like Hard Boiled and The Killer and A Better Tomorrow. His first few Hollywood films didn't go down very well. Everyone was talking about how good his action style was and how you know they were looking forward to his... American films, and the first one he did was Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme and his mullet. Awesome. Punching a snake in the face. 
um, <laughs> doing a roundhouse to kick a grenade at a bad guy. But maybe that's a film we should focus on. Let's let's go back to 1994 <laughs> for a later podcast, maybe. And then he did obviously uh, Broken Arrow, which uh, I I famously uh, duped uh, mum and dad into taking me to see at the cinema. And my dad, oh, sorry, our dad gave us a running commentary of how many uh, helicopters are going to explode in this film, George? Yeah, yeah, it's all like the bomb's going to Denver. And he turns to me really loud. We've been to Denver, haven't we, George? Yes, Dad. Yes, we have. Um, <laughs> anyway, getting, getting excited. So with, uh, with Face Off, it seemed like the promise that John Woo had showed in his, his Hong Kong films, he actually delivered. And I think it's safe to say, We've seen this numerous times. It's some amazing action in the film, but it is at times utterly ridiculous. It is at times completely overacted, but I think, if anything, it makes it an even better film. It does, and it's not a long film. Even whatever the time is, it doesn't feel long. It's it, like. It zips by. Yeah. One thing to the next. I, I just. So, I mean, let's start with. If we're going to take it scene by scene, I guess we're going to start with the airport scene. Well, well, the, no, no. The, the first bit we're, we're missing is, and it's quite a key plot point, you've got Nicolas Cage setting the bomb. Oh, smoking and rock music and feeling up choir girls is bad, okay? Yeah. One question, why is the bomb set for such a long time? Why is it set? That it's set is. for like a week and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a week, it's like ages. And I, also, I, I think why even, is it remote? <laughs> I think the, the, the screenwriter even came out and said, yeah, we set it for so long to keep the story going effectively. But the other question is, can Cage get any hammier, um, I've got, whilst he's playing the bad guy? I mean, he's, you know, as you say, he's touching the choir girl, he's doing the, the rocking thing. I think he's just, I've got here, is he? Is he just giving it his all in the limited time he has as the bad guy? You know, is he just thinking, right, fuck it, I've only got ten minutes before I get knocked out. Do I just go for it? I couldn't work out. I, I was tempted to send you my notes on this film, mainly because of my comments about Travolta. I had to change a word, a certain word to camp. Because my issue is actually in this film is with Travolta. I think that uh, Cage owns this film. He's loving it. He's having a great time. And he does a great job. But we're, we're, we're skipping ahead. Yeah. So, this, you, this, you, so you've got the... So first off, you've got the very slow sort of setup with him. His son getting killed. Michael. Michael. Then you've got the uh, the bombing set. Then you've got the, the awesome, you know, Humvees on the runway. Humvee versus plane. What's going John to happen? It's, it's awesome. Let's throw everything at it. So plane, much so. Plane crashes into a paint factory. I, I, I've even got. It's like that scene from Wayne's World. It's like the guys have freshly painted the airport hangar before the plane crashes into it. It's just like you see them running out the way, like no, we've just finished it. And then doors closed. Sparks going everywhere. Jumping out of a, a jet plane with two guns in your hands. It's Firing John, away. It's John Wick. But yeah, you know, I've got, as one of my notes like later on, but there's a lot of unnecessary flipping around whilst firing guns. Like, yeah, that's John Wick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I think I think it's Hard Boiled does it the best where you've got Chow Young-Fat sliding down the banister firing two pistols and he never runs out of bullets. Never runs out of bullets in the entire film. But um, one of the other bits I liked is when they, they first come face-to-face, uh, pun intended, 
And in like John Travolta's like, I don't care if I live or die. And Cage is like, you're not having any fun, are you? And they're having this like back and forth dialogue next to a jet engine that's that's going off. The one that he kicks him into. And I'm thinking, you couldn't have a conversation next to a jet engine. No, for what? <laughs> What? You don't want to live another day? What? I can't hear you. He said something about a bomb. <laughs> Before a roundhoused him into the jet engine. Take, take that, Cage. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that that bit's good. And they've got his bro- brother in custody. And they found the disc, the chunky floppy disc, that has very intricate 3D drawings of the bomb. And I'm thinking, <laughs> would you go to that level of detail? I was thinking the very same, and even the software, they've like, they had to go and hire a graphic artist, and this was in the days before crowdsourcing, so it was like, we need we need somebody who can do good graphics on a Mac, who can design, like, a hot girl in a bikini who's kind of a skeleton, ooh, baby, you disarm me, we've got to have an audio file, I mean, which, who was the creative team who came up with this? That, he's very passionate about his work, his Castor Troy, <laughs> he's, yeah, that's, that's something that it goes into, sort of like, well, he's a dedicated agent of terror. But I thought that was hilarious, where it's like, okay, well, yeah, we, what's what's the evidence? Well, we've got this very conclusive 3D drawing of a bomb. Then you go into the, the crazy science of, of swapping faces. Um, uh, George, you're skipping a certain waterfall. Ooh, well, yes. Because I, it, it, there's it, the introduction of Sean Archer's family. Sean uh, Archer. So we, we, with his wife, uh, Pamela Landy. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, I mean, Joan, Joan Allen. Yeah, uh, Joan Allen. Even, did you, I told you one, even she gives, she's a giver of face waterfalls as well. So it oh, it's, it's, no, it's the Archer family trait. So, yeah. just to put this in comparison, so we've borrowed the term uh, face waterfalls from one of our favorite podcasts that have covered this film, uh, How Did This Get Made? And it's a family tick that I think mainly Travolta does, and obviously then Nicolas Cage has to do where, they're stroking each other's faces. It's kind it's, of like a shut up. It's, it's kind of like, don't worry, it's, shut it's, up. It's a little bit creepy, but it's it's a token moment of affection. So um, that that's that's the, the Archer thing. You, they, they touch each other's faces. Anyway, onto the prison. Um, really cheaply made, obviously. I love no the prison. I, I forgot how over the top the prison bit is. You've got the, I love the prison guard monologue. You know, the Geneva Convention does not know we exist. Amnesty International is unaware of our activities. So so basically you're telling us it's a nasty place. <laughs> and the extensive, you know, you've got the big sc- the, the video wall thing. I love that. It's all, um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I love the prison. It's very over the top. And the magnetic boots, who can forget the magnetic boots? I've I've got my notes here for so you've got Travolta as Cage or Sean Archer as Castor Troy in prison, but then Castor Troy wakes up. You've got some very fine over the top screaming from Nicolas Cage when he wakes up out of his coma. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, there's part of me that thinks it would be a better film if it was Nicolas Cage versus Nicolas Cage without a face. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot more fun than, than Nicholas Cage. That would be quite dark. That could it would work. be quite dark, but imagine you're getting twice the cage for your money. And zero Travolta. And zero I mean. Travolta. I think that might be a better thing. But I think there is a lot... Of, you, you can tell that Travolta's having a lot more fun as the bad guy, because 
when he's playing Sean Archer, he is just a bit dull. I mean, okay, fair well, enough. We should talk about the reveal in the prison. So, Caster Troy's woken up. Uh, he's killed all the people who know about it. He's taken his face off. Even Tito. I know, that's what I love. So, going to, that's what I was going to refer to. In this reveal, it's a great reveal. I mean, and it is a reveal like a curtain coming up. The way the door opens, yes. and Travolta's there and waiting. He's got for the him. newspaper. Yeah, and I was waiting. Is there a dove? Is there a John Woo dove? Not on this. No, scene. no, no only in the church the scene. Yeah, there's this, and I just love the way how they imitate each other. So, and this is how I've got written in my notes a lot. Most of my sentences now start with Travolta is so camp when. <laughs> so, he's so camp during this entire scene. It's like, I know what I'm going to do. Call it Hammy. But he just goes really, really camp. And Cage's interpretation of Sean Archer is just to be pathetic. He's killed him, Tito. A little bit offensive, but slightly retarded as well. Yeah. He just he's like his he's like, What's your interpretation of Sean Archer gonna be? Um I'm just gonna be pathetic. <laughs> and a little bit slow. But that was it. And speaking of slow, obviously slow mo is is a, a John Woo trait, but for some reason, they decided to do slow mo as Nicolas Cage goes, Tito. Tito. Yeah, Tito. I love that. I can watch that over and over again. And so then that quickly cuts to the prison break scene, which one of the things I loved and forgot about is they run into the control room, they mash a lot of buttons. I think there's a system overload button. Yeah, which press this button. Which is. Uh, effectively makes the TV screen fire out lots of sparks. Yeah, there's a lot of slow motion sparks. I'm not sure why that happens. System overload, George. System overload. The TV explodes because it would with a system overload. But then that cuts to to uh, when Nicolas Cage does, you know, what? Well, sorry, Nicolas Cage's stuntman jumps oh, off the Oh, you, you spotted it. Did you notice I could have written he has so much more hair than Nicolas Cage? Oh, so much more hair. <laughs> there is some amazing use of stuntman in this film. Um, we will get to that on, uh, in the final scenes. But, it, yeah, it cuts to him diving into the water. He's the only one who escapes. He's the only one that's, <laughs> he's the only one who escapes, and he manages to swim underwater the whole time because you've got a helicopter circling. Yeah. Swims under, you know, a mile and a half underwater. But it cuts back to, uh, I've got, um, an inverted comma. Where's his body? Um, good work from Travolta, where they're saying, oh, but we haven't found Castor Troy's body. They haven't recovered it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so, uh, so calm. It's over the top. It's so over the top. So, yeah, I've just got great, great work from, uh, Travolta. So after that, we are sort of flying through this, but you cut to Castor Troy slash Archer goes to meet with his his terrorist chums who, in true Hollywood fashion, live in a massive, amazing warehouse-type... Uh, loft apartment. Loft apartment-type thing. They do nondescript drugs. He's got his case full of guns and drugs. Because he's a bad guy. Because he's a bad guy. He's got his, for some reason, he's holding, his mate's holding onto his guns. And you have that fine moment where he's, Nicholas Cage is tripping his face off. And he's doing that, I'm not me, I'm me. <laughs> very, very, uh, leaving Las Vegas. Which quickly cuts to, well, we've got some more face waterfalls with, uh, where he starts creeping out, uh, Gina Gershon's, uh, son, stroking his face and screaming Michael at him. Um, <laughs> 
I felt a little bit awkward at that scene. Never mind the uh, every time the people in in the scene. But going to another great action sequence with I found the is it counterterrorism unit very gun happy. Yeah, they don't ask a lot of questions. What they do don't ask any questions. They just go in firing. And there's a lot of, like, they're, they're shooting up, they're like, the girlfriends, they're shooting up everything. Oh, they, they kill everybody. There's kids there, they don't, like, no, no, just kill everyone. And, and in true, uh, I've got here, in true 80s, 90s fashion, there's a lot of glass. A lot of glass shattering. There is, but this brings me to a point I've got in my list of good things I liked about this film. It was great to see special effects rather than CGI. This yes. was this film, lots of, there's exploding, the sparks, there's glass, there's smoke, there's fire, but it's real. It's in front of you and you can feel it, you can see it when they, they can do it in slow-mo. And it's something that made me think, do we yeah, no, to slow I, I, things down to make it look more real and to obviously get away with certain effects now that they're not using those effects? Like, no, we'll just do it in CGI. Well, that's it. I've, I've got the exact same points. I've just got great practical effects Terrible stuntman. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. That's the difference between today's action films. Well, one, you've got the editing. The editing is a lot faster. You've yeah. got, for some films like Bourne, the Bourne trilogy or Bourne series, it works where you've got the, the quickly edited. Some other films, it just doesn't work and it becomes a bit of a mess. Choppy uh, mess, yeah. And as you said, yeah, you've got CGI explosions, CGI special effects. And it just looks really ropey. But, yeah, I think that's it. One of the things that strengths in this film is the the choreography. I mean, that whole sequence that's set to somewhere over the rainbow, you know, slow-mo. And apparently, I forgot about that. Apparently, yeah, I forgot about that. And apparently John Woo uh, fought for that scene. He wanted it. He thought it was pivotal to the film. And the studio were like, oh, well, seems a little bit unnecessary. But, a bit arty. But, yeah, that's it. It shows that he, he sees that action is a bit like a, a ballet. It should be choreographed. It should be over-stylized because that's what yeah. makes it enjoyable. And uh, am, I, am I missing anything? Does that cut? Do we go from that one action scene to the church scene? Oh, then it just thought, that's what I mean. This is a fast film. You've got, it's not a three-part, it's not a three-act film. Like, I was trying to work this out. I think it's like two acts. There's the setup, and then... Well, there's there a little is... bit on the prison, and then... You've got yeah, there's, there's, yeah, I suppose there's two very quick acts, and then there's a very long third act where it's the it's because it like goes from Dietrich's apartment to the, there's a little bit of bedding, and then there's the church scene, and then it all kicks off and goes nuts. Yeah, so obviously in the church scene you've got um, some some classic John Woo uh, trademarks. You've got the doves, yeah, church and, and, and church, and you've got Mexican standoff. The classic guns over guns. Oh, your your gun arm's in the way of my gun arm. Yeah. Why don't you just go, you go let's, under let's and I'll go over? Let's swap over. Yeah, no, but you go under and I go. No, you're supposed to go <laughs> under. <laughs> You've got that ridiculous gun battle in the in the church where everyone seems to die apart from Travolta and Cage. Handy, uh, very handy. You've got the bit with the the daughter getting in the way and the daughter being thrown down the stairs, which I thought was quite amusing for no reason. But I, d- uh, I don't know if you, uh, like, I rented this through um, Google Play, and I remember watching this on video, and they cut the edit of the scene where he opens the butterfly knife. But on this really? one, in this one they didn't, and I remember it being like BBFC, like a broadcast uh, censorship thing. But completely beside the point, then you get to the point where they both, is it they both sound like Travolta? 
They both yeah. they both sound like Travolta, but then they carry on fighting, and it still sounds like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, but no, because he messes with his throat. Yes, he gets... so he should sound like Travolta, but then they carry on fighting, and it's lots of. No, no, but he only sounds like Travolta when he when he holds his throat. With his throat. I think that's the the thing here. But sorry, go on. I mean, I I kind of just this is when it becomes you just sit back and watch what happens. It's like, what are they going to do next? Well, we haven't had two guys fighting on a speedboat. No, no, okay. Uh, yeah, the well, it goes back to the practical effects thing. Like, there's there's so much in it. Like, I love the whole completely over the top point where. The the police boat just comes out of nowhere. The police boat that has loads of armed police. And he kills them all. He kills them all. The boat manages to idle around just so he could launch off it, and the boat explodes <laughs> as he drives through it. Great. It's completely, great. it's completely unnecessary, but it's a great stunt. Speaking of stunts, stunt men. Um, <laughs> stunt men with lots of hair. More hair than even Travolta's wig. They've both got really clear, like, receding hairlines and stuntmen are all in their 20s. Oh, the, so, some great, great stuntman work. And, yeah, this bit where he's just water skiing along. It's just like, just just kill him. No, no. <laughs> he, he looks too awesome water skiing, barefoot water skiing along. And then you've got, after all that practical effects, you've got a ter- a bit of a terrible stunt at the end when the boat flips up and they're, like, about 30 metres in the air. <laughs> Uh, but they still haven't managed to sort out the stuntmen. It still looks like completely two random guys in the air. But yeah, again, sort of jumping back and in a similar note to Air Force One, I think the thing that lifts us up is that there are some genuine scenes where probably more Nicolas Cage sells it in, in terms of, you know, Nicolas Cage was slash is a good actor. And there's that whole thing is shit off in this film. It's brilliant throughout, uh, whereas... I mean, I put it down as one of the cons. I just feel Travolta just turns up the ham to 11. Yeah, I'd say Travolta's really hammy or he's just really dour. Um, whereas I love one of the scenes I thought Nicolas Cage really sells it is where he confronts that, that hot, sexy Joan Allen and he talks about their first dates where she breaks a tooth on a bread roll. And it's just a really quiet sort of scene, but he sells it really well because obviously he is a very good dramatic actor and apparently that's one of the reasons why John Woo picked those two uh, actors because he wanted to make it more of a character piece around the action rather than just action for the sake of it which I think is a nice segue into casting coulda shoulda excellent so can you there's two uh Pairings I've got here. Actually, no, there's this there's three. Can you guess at least one of them? So, in terms of if you're going to do face off in the 90s. Okay, well, maybe action, we. Action I, stars. No, you, you told me. Okay, this this is funny because we always do coulda, woulda. Uh, sorry, coulda, shoulda. Coulda, shoulda. And I've actually come up with some suggestions of my own, not knowing. Okay. So I'll run through them, and if and if because I I took into account the, the year, okay. the film, who was hot. So I've got the first serious one was Russell Crowe versus Kevin Spacey. That, How good would that have been? That could work, but I'm not sure Kevin Spacey would be able to pull off the action side of things. Maybe not. And also two who are probably too old, but they did they had done a film at the same time, Pacino and De Niro. I was going to say maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme versus Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> amazing, <laughs> and... amazing. Well, no, apparently one of the serious ones, there was 
JCVD versus Seagal. I, I thought it would be something like that. I mean, when you said which one, I would have said Seagal, or I would have said Wesley Snipes and Stallone. Well, that would have been a little bit controversial, Charlie. We would have had to change the whole man's skin as well as just his face. We can take everything out. No, I've got some other, other ones for you to consider. Okay. Um, Tom Cruise and Dugray Scott. Oh, no, <laughs> no sorry. No. Sorry, that's the wrong face-switching movie. Finally, <laughs> because... Because it was the 90s, George, um, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. <laughs> Amazing. Love it. We're going to have to make one of you much shorter. <laughs> Amazing. We're going to have to cut your legs off. So, as you can predict, so real casting, apparently uh, Stallone and, Ar- and Schwarzenegger were considered. Yeah. Apparently, the original script, it was going to be set in the future to make the face swapping a bit more believable. That would make sense. Um, but apparently, yeah, John Woo cut it back to make it more character relatable, um, Dilly. and, and, <laughs> and budget, apparently. But the more interesting pairing, and I don't know if you, uh, noticed, but this film is, uh, produced by none other than Michael Douglas. Really? And originally he, uh, was producing it and it was going to be him versus none other than President James Marshall. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Now, that would have been quite an interesting combination. Well, I was surprised. You know, we were just talking about Air Force One. I was surprised how young Harrison Ford was in the 90s. You know, if you compare him to, say, what he's looking like now for Star Wars. You know, he he, he was still... Why didn't he make more films? You know, True. It's a shame. True. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that would have been quite an interesting set of obviously It would have been made for a lot, uh, a much different film. But hey, ho, some, some some good trivia there. So overall, what your what would you say your overall thoughts on on Face Off are? When I watched it the first time in the nineties, I loved it. There was a lot to love about it. Um, movies, I think, what we've talked about today, movies have come a long way. Editing has changed, special effects have changed. The type of actors who get these roles have changed. The pro about this is they don't make them like they used to. You don't get a film like this of this action type be made by a director like this with a cast like this for that amount of money. Now you get Chai Courtney <laughs> and and it goes straight, you know, it's and it's it's a forgettable. I mean, well you seem to get either or you seem to obviously since um it's funny you mentioned about Harrison Ford getting old, but obviously in the past fifteen years or so we've had, you know, the what they call them, the Jerry Actioner. You know, you've had the Taken films where because of special effects, you can make it more believable that someone older like Liam Neeson is taking names, kicking ass, because you can blend in his stuntman a lot more believably than you could in in Face Off. But I think, yeah, I, I agree in terms of, it seems like the 90s is very much of the high concept action film. So it was, it's die hard on a dot, dot, dot. It's how about these two guys have to swap faces? You know, there's, there was a brilliant script going around that still hasn't been made called, which is very similar to face off called the Gemini man. And that was originally going to be Mel Gibson, uh, as an assassin that has to go on the run because he's on the run from a clone of himself uh, in his twenties. And yeah. it's going to be using like footage from Mad Max and 
Mel Gibson's earlier work with Mel Gibson in the late nineties. And that sounds it's a great concept and they've kind of done it in a bit with um with Looper. Yeah. Even though it's a different actor. But if you look at the technology of um you know, Where it's going. Like yeah. with, you know, Captain America Civil War, the stuff that Marvel are doing, showing how good the de aging software is getting. So you never know, it might go back to that sort of high concept action film of, well, we can do anything with you know, CGI effects in terms of our actors, let's, you could put younger people through the paces or older people through the paces. It's kind of, this was at the same sort of, I just feel that we're in a different world. I don't know if this is coming off the back of piracy and then how the movie business has reacted to privacy, uh, sorry, piracy and how it's, um, you know, it's paid video on demand content sort of thing. But you look at that year. I mean, we've picked this year. We're going to focus on this year again. In other podcasts, we're going to do a comedy focus. We're going to do another focus because there's just so many films that came out this year. And mm-hmm. I think this period, there was this period between 1995 and 2004, you know, take that, that period. There were just so many amazing films. And then after that, piracy really kicked in. And I think there was a writer's strike and there was a, there was a drop off. And I think now there's like movies are either massive events or it's gone long format on Netflix, you know. But you've also got, we're now in the, the age, well, it's, it's always been about the sequel, but it's more about franchise these days. It has to be a set, you know, you're not, you're getting less original films and they're either remakes, sequels or reboots. So I wouldn't be surprised. If we do get a, a remake of Face Off in the next five years, yeah. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see who. So that's a, that's I, a question. I can't see should... a, I can't see a, a remake of Air Force One anytime soon, due yeah. to the political implications. Um, yeah, I, but I, yeah, I, I, I can definitely, probably, quite depressingly, see. You know, they've, it seems that no no action film is is safe. Um, obviously, if you look at the current run of films like Point Break and, and what have you. I still haven't watched that. I, that haven't, I, I haven't heard a single good thing about it. So, yeah, uh, so I am about it. preferring to, to leave it well alone. Um, I've, I've had my fingers burnt by sitting through the, uh, Total Recall and, uh, Robocop remake saying that's enough. Yeah, I turned off, uh, Total Recall. I, I, I kind of gave Robocop a bit more. I think Robocop's alright. Robocop. It's a different type of film. Yeah, but Total Recall's just a, it's just dope. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was, well, two films, two for the price of one, both Air Force One and Face Off. Let's start with Air Force One. I mean, Harrison Ford, great film. Yeah, as, as I said at the start, I think it's, it, it's a solid, entertaining film, and it's, it's a ridiculous setup, but I think it's, it's held together by some very good direction by Wolfgang Peterson. Uh, I think I've got his name right this time, but also great cast. You know, you've got Harrison Ford, you've got, uh, sweaty Glenn Close, you've got William H. Macy, you've got Gary Oldman, and Dean Stockwell, D- D- of Stock- Quantum Leap fame, Dean Stockwell. Um, and yeah, I think it, it holds up. It's, it's, it's tightly edited. It's tight. You know, the script is pretty solid and it's a good solid actioner. And as we say, and you know, in, in the notes on, on the review on the blog, I don't think we're ever going to see a film like this in the current political climate, especially with the upcoming president elect Donald Trump, September 11th. You're not going to get this type of film anymore. 
Or if you are going to get a type of film like this, it won't be the president taking down. It'll be something like Olympus Has Fallen. You'll have the Die Hard in the White House, which I think they did twice in the same year. Am I right? Yeah, you had Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down. That'll be interesting to see what is the next type of film. You have these, uh, on a side note, you have these head-to-head films. So you had those two. You had Volcano, Dante's Peak. You had uh, Armageddon and uh, that other one with... Deep impact. That's all. So, yeah, you. I, I think in terms of, yeah, the whole airplanes, presidents kicking ass, unless, you know, Donald Trump's starring in it in himself, I don't think we're going to get something like that these days. But, yeah, I think it's a, it's a classic action film. It's, you know, we love films like Die Hard. We love the Die Hard in a dot, dot, dot. And I think this is one of the last great Die Hard in a certain situation that, that we have. Absolutely. Harrison Ford, he's been back in the limelight recently, turned up in The Force Awakens, reprising his role as Han Solo, did a very good job, and just when you were happy to see him again, he gets stabbed through the chest and thrown into the abyss. So there is no chance of him coming back, and obviously, as as George told me, I'm just going to talk over him here, but he's been wanting to get out of those films since Empire Strikes Back. Is that not Yeah, correct? yeah. He uh, he begged George Lucas to, to kill him off for Empire Strikes Back. And I think, and again, for Return of the Jedi, so George Lucas uh, made the compromise that he would be in peril at the end of Empire Strikes Back, which makes it a great cliffhanger. And again, I think he, Harrison Ford pushed for him to be killed off in Return of the Jedi. Please kill me. Please kill me. He finally got his wish with The Force Awakens. And as you and I, Charlie, were saying with the, the release of the new Blade Runner trailer, uh, it looks like he may be angling for that uh, yet again. It may be a, co- a contract requirement that any sequel or remake he's doing, he must be killed off. <laughs> <laughs> there is no chance of him coming back. But he's a replicant. They can just remake him. No, no, no. That also has to be destroyed. Yeah. Um, I, I also noted from, uh, on a side note, on the Blade Runner trailer, it looks like Harrison Ford has just turned up in his, his casual clothes. He's wearing a T-shirt and jeans, which seems to be <laughs> the standard <laughs> feature. woken up. <laughs> yeah. He's, 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 he's basically come to work in your own clothes day. Um, he can be bothered to wear the silly sort of futuristic tinfoil T-shirt or, 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 the, or the like. Um, so yeah, should we, should we move on to, uh, face off? Got, I mean, as you've heard in that podcast, we have so much love for this film. This was a very formative film. I mean, I remember going to the cinema. I went to the cinema and saw both of these films. When I went and saw Air Force One, it was like Harrison Ford kicking ass as the president. That looks like a good film. Face Off, there was a lot more anticipation. There was, in, in, in my mind, it was the first teaser trailer. It's, it's the teaser trailer. I remember this. Did we talk about this in the we, podcast? We, we did, we did touch on it, but I think you're right. I think Face Off was more of an event film. And I'm, I'm, for our dear listeners, I'm using air quotes around the word event quotation finger that you don't really get much these days and i say that the getting a a big budget violent action film with two a-list hollywood leading men character actors you know if you, you know love them or hate them both travolta and cage have done some great films and this was a sort of a nice chance for them to have a bit of fun camp it up to 11 yeah play each other camp it up and i think with with this film when it first came out it was 
it was like a, a revolution of sorts. Everyone's like, oh, this is the best action film since Die Hard. This is one of the best action films ever. With time, it hasn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's, it's aged badly, but I don't, I think it's lost a little bit of its sheen. It's no longer the greatest action film of all time. That it's, lasted it, very, it had a short run for at least that summer. George and I felt that way. And then another film came out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's still, um, I think it's still a solid action film and it's obviously, it's John Woo's best. American effort you know he he finally hit his stride after I think we had the ridiculous John claude Van Damme mullet wearing snake punching hard target um, it's a lot of fun though the fairly disappointing broken arrow though I, I did do have some fond memories of how ridiculous that film is um, so yeah I think Face Off is John Woo's best American film I mean John Woo you're including Mission Impossible 2 in that well you and I have a very soft spot for, for Mission Impossible 2 and I think that will probably shock and disgust some some people some listeners out there but yeah it has some great action it has some a ridiculous amount of of face swapping of rubber masks a lot of unnecessary dove slow-mo action but yeah i uh mission impossible 2 is one of my and i think it is officially a, a guilty pleasure I think but it is, it is linked to this film it seems to be it, it was for me john woo revisiting this idea of what if the good guy and bad guy could swap places because and, and they are the sort of the yin and the yang yeah, and they're just the bad guy is just as good as the good guy. So I think that was a talent. It worked in Face Off. It probably maybe it didn't work so well in uh, Mission Impossible Two. But though Dugray Scott is going for Cage and Travolta levels of hamminess with his bad it's guy, it's almost like both of them combined in the same role. Maybe it's Wu's direction. He's like, no, no, it needs to be hammier. Yeah, more over the top. <laughs> Um, but yeah, John Woo sort of uh, disappeared of of late. I mean, he's returned. He's doing um, more stuff uh, in Hong Kong. You know, more more Chinese films. Um, I saw a film of his a few years ago. He did a really good historical sort of action battle epic called Red Cliff. And and there's various cuts of it. There it was it was released in two parts. It was released as a long cut. I think I saw the longer version, and it is really impressive. It's um, you know still some trademark action from from John Woo. Are there doves? I I, believe it or not I think there is some doves but I would yeah it's a obviously it's all in Mandarin I think it's Mandarin but it's yeah it's all in foreign but it is it's a worthwhile if you're a fan of John Woo it's it's worth checking out. Great and what's your feeling of both of these films since we've We've taken a retro ramble on them. How do you do? You look at them any differently? Because we did a little bit of research. Uh, I, you know? I was I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Air Force One. Yeah, I know because we had to look at it analytically. Me too. I just thought I forgot how much of a Die Hard film this is. That sounds stupid saying it now, but I forgot that it was Die Hard on a plane. But it, but it is a as I say, it's you know, and I will I will argue this. Uh, it is a solid film. It's a solid, entertaining. You know, it's change anyone's opinions of that sort of action genre. It doesn't really do anything overly unique or different it's better than executive decision and any other film featuring Steven Seagal it's, it's true it's true although you know Under Siege does have some some. that's kind of die hard yeah. on a boat isn't yeah. it well it is and he also cooks anyway um, we may cover that at some stage we may cover that um, but yeah I, I was surprised at how good Air Force One is Face Off for me is it's just it's ludicrous it's hammy it's over the top but it's got it's a cracking action film it's I, good I fun that can't be denied that was Air Force One and Face Off. And next time we will be back with Starship Troopers.
Exactly. I look forward to uh, to watching that and reviewing that with you. As do I, bro. As do I. Excellent. And then we're both going to continue our work in the hope that we will be taken seriously as a podcast. So thanks for listening. Um, and until next time, enjoy yourself. Just not too much. Be safe. Be safe. Cover yourself. Well, I think that went all right. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the middle bit could do with uh, stretching out, pulling back, re-engaging, unlocking. If you re-strap it, it might pull together. Should we do it with clothes on next time? Um, if the dog looks frightened, it's seriously, honest. seriously frightened dog over there. If I'm honest with you, I'd really like to keep my slippers on. Okay, okay, I have one more thing to say. 